And before we get into this week's episode with Transformed with Dr. Greg Gifford, I wanted to take just a moment for us to pause and honor the life and legacy of a true giant in the field of biblical counseling. This week, we received the sorrowful news that our brother, Dr. Lou Priolo, has passed. Dr. Priolo left behind a legacy that has touched and will continue to touch countless lives for generations to come. He left an indelible mark on the world of biblical counseling. As a graduate of Calvary Bible Church at Liberty University, he held a doctorate from Calvary University, and he dedicated his life since 1985 to the field of biblical counseling, writing books that left marks on the industry like The Heart of Anger, The Complete Husband, Pleasing People, Resolving Conflict, among many, many others, which have become staples in the field. As a fellow with the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, he was also the Director of Biblical Counseling at Christ Covenant Buckhead in Atlanta. Dr. Priolo's influence extended far beyond the printed page. He was known by many for not only his unwavering commitment to the truth and to God's Word, but also for his walk, his godliness, which could clearly be seen in how he lived his life. He had a quick wit and distinctive manners. Dr. Priolo's life was a testament to the power of faith and the impact one can have. And as we reflect on his legacy, I'm reminded of his very own words, which I think are so fitting right now. Dr. Priolo stands today more alive than he's ever been. He stands in the presence of our Savior, whom he loved so much and served so faithfully. Our prayers now go out to his wife and to his daughters. And we thank God for a man who had such a profound impact, an impact and a legacy that will continue to inspire and to guide for generations to come. What is? What is? What is? What is biblical counseling? Biblical counseling will grow you from brokenness to wholeness. The light bulbs are going off in my head. <laughs> this is like deep. I just haven't thought of it that way. It's mind blowing to me. I don't know if I've ever had anybody put it that plainly to me before. All this time I've been going to church, this never resonated with me. This is Transform. And now your host, Assistant Professor of Biblical Counseling at the Masters University and Certified Biblical Counselor, Dr. Greg Gifford. Welcome back to Transformed. My name is Dr. Greg Gifford, and I have the absolute privilege of being your host and working with you through the subject of the mind versus the brain, and in particular, in learning about how psychotropic medication and mental illnesses come from clarity and come from a biblical understanding of the mind versus the brain. So what do we think about them? So today's episode is going to be about how our mental illnesses diagnosed. But if you're just joining us today, I would actually encourage you to hit pause right here and to go back and listen to the prior three episodes. So here's what we've done up to this point. The first episode is just framing the situation. Mental health in North America, how did we get here? Where did it come from? And I, I tried to show you some of the historical blending of the mind versus the brain. So over the past two episodes, what I've done is taken you to scripture and shown you, all right, biblically, what is the mind? And then biblically, what is the brain? So as we think of them, according to the scripture, they're not the same. Summarily, that's the key takeaway. They're not the same. So today, I actually want to spend some time talking about how we understand the diagnostic method 
of a mental illness or a psychological disorder. Sometimes mental disorder is used. So first of all, let me introduce a term that some of you are familiar with, but some are not. It is called the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual. When you think of it, think of it like a manual, like in any other field, you're going to have a manual for instructions. And this manual is very much like an encyclopedia, an encyclopedia of mental disorders. So it's, a, it's technically the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual of Mental Disorders. What you're going to find in there are really groupings. You're going to have overarching categories and then sub-examples or, or particulars of mental illnesses. So if you were to see a copy and you could Google it and just see how big a copy is, and we're talking about a five or 600 page manual. And this manual has really become the backbone for how we understand a mental illness slash disorder. Uh, but this manual is not a static manual, meaning that it is fluid and it's changed and it's grown and it's adapted over the years. In the early 70s, around 73, 74, really the first formal term for DSM was used. There were prior diagnostic manuals, but really it's DSM-3 in the 70s that would have been the first evolution of a statistics manual for mental illness. That is going to be really the primary statistics manual, the DSM. And when I say DSM, that's all I'm talking about is the diagnostic and statistic manual. So that's going to last for about 20 years until the 90s when it would be updated to the DSM-4. And then again, as is custom, what, what usually takes place is a committee is formed of researchers, psychiatrists, psychologists, and those researchers then help update and refresh the next DSM. Now, at this point, and historically, the organization that has published and maintained ownership of the DSM has been the American Psychiatric Association, the APA. And they are the one that publishes the DSM, and they are the one that assimilates the teams and committees to help revise and revamp. So 2013, the most recent form of the DSM came out. That's the DSM-5. And there is even a committee right now that's being formed for the DSM-TR or 5-TR, but really it's the fifth edition that we're on for the DSM. So now think of the way that the DSM actually works. So as a diagnostic manual, when you are going to a DSM, you're actually looking for a description of symptoms that match a particular mental illness or mental disorder. So it's technically what is called symptom-based diagnosing. Okay, imagine that you were to go to your general practitioner, and as you walked in, what would take place is they would say, well, how are you feeling? What's the matter? Uh, you would begin to just describe, well, my throat is really sore. Um, also, I, I feel like I got some something like dripping down the back of my throat. I've been coughing here lately and uh, just feels like I'm short of breath. All right. And it, all of you who are hearing that, it's like, OK, yeah, it sounds like a cold, something like that. So then what your your general practitioner is usually going to do is say, OK, well, let me grab a couple of things. They grab that little light with the this magnifying glass. They look in the back of your throat and it's like, well, OK, yeah, it looks red and swollen back there. They get a stethoscope, put it onto your chest, listen to your breathing, sounds raspy. And it's like, okay, yeah. If things were bad enough, you could actually take an x-ray of your lungs and a pulmonologist might say, oh yeah, we can see there's fluid buildup. You know, there's, there's definitely a reason for why you're experiencing shortness of breath. So what would normally happen for a, a medical doctor is that you would describe what you're experiencing and then they would analyze your body and your physiology based off of what you're saying to then make a 
diagnosis. Whereas with the method in psychiatry and psychology, you describe what you're experiencing and there is no physical exam to go with it. So what you describe becomes the way to diagnose. So that's called symptom-based diagnosing, meaning that the psychiatrist is not going to get a stethoscope out. Uh, The psychiatrist is not going to begin to then take your weight. And I'll explain more on this here in a second, but symptom-based diagnosing is where you describe it. There is no physiological exam that corresponds to it, but then you're diagnosed based off of the symptoms you've described. So hopefully even as I say that, you're like, oh, that's interesting, Dr. Gifford. Like uh, that could be kind of fast and loose at times. And the answer is yes, it can be fast and loose at times. But why do we do that? Well, just to be clear, not everyone who uses the DSM has nefarious motivations. In fact, there are school counselors, medical doctors. There are many people who are just trying to use this DSM because it helps provide medical coding so they can bill insurance companies. So they don't mean anything ill by that. In order for the school psychologist to help a teacher get additional resources, they need a mental illness diagnosis in order for that to take place. And once that occurs, then all of a sudden state resources are unlocked for students in public schools, for instance. Or a medical doctor is just trying to bill insurance. So they're going to find depression or they're going to find generalized anxiety disorder. And boom, that is the code that is input and then sent to the health insurance so that they can get paid. So it's not always that that individuals have very nefarious motivations. In fact, the DSM has just kind of become the status quo. It just is. Whether it's good or not, it just kind of is. And yet when you begin to scratch at the surface of it a little bit and say, well, how do we know that's an objective illness or how do we know it's not an objective illness or is it an objective illness at all? That's whenever things start to get a little bit wonky. So it's used to help identify mental disorders, yes, but it's typically used more pragmatically for billing, coding, uh, for insurance uh, benefits. You can get disability based off of having certain mental illnesses and then obviously treatment. You know, so when you are diagnosed with depression as a mental illness, then the next step would obviously be treatment. Or when you're diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder, the next step would be treatment. So the DSM is, it's kind of like the encyclopedia in its a list of different categories and then different illnesses. So how are you diagnosed is the next question that I would like to share. You know, if you've ever been in that circumstance, you know, or if you've ever sat with the school psychologist as they're evaluating your child, typically what's going to happen is there are surveys and you are given surveys, whether it's a true, false, a yes, no, or a multiple choice. And you're supposed to answer those surveys. And those surveys are just simply based off of your experience and your interpretation. So that questionnaire, for instance, is just simply a description of how you're interpreting life at that moment. It's not necessarily based off of an empirical fact like your heart rate, how much you weigh, vitamin deficiencies. It's just based off your interpretation. So that's a survey. You're also typically going to go through a verbal interview, medical doctor, psychiatrist, psychologist. And in that interview, they're going to ask you certain things. They're going to ask you, do you have thoughts that are dark? Do you struggle with motivation? Do you have self-harm thoughts? Uh, tell us about your appetite. You know, and, and as you're going through that type of verbal evaluation and interview, then what the medical doctor, psychiatrist, psychologist is doing is just listening for those symptoms based off of the DSM. Uh, the last thing that you that I want to point out is that really you are self-identifying that. And I don't mean that in the LGBTQ plus context of self-identifying, but just think 
when you ask me, my answers become what you are using to interpret and diagnose. So I am self-identifying. I am self-claiming or self-proclaiming my symptoms. And even in psychiatry and psychology, there's not a fact check of, well, does he really struggle with motivation? Or, well, does he really struggle with dark thoughts? It's like, oh, you struggle with dark thoughts. I accept that as truth. And so I'm going to use that to help make a decision now. So all of a sudden, this starts to be a symptom-based, self-prescribed diagnostic method. Symptom-based, meaning I'm just describing my symptoms, and then self-described, self-identified. So no one else is describing this. I am describing this to you. So now that becomes a very slippery slope. In fact, that methodology is generally going to be rejected by actual medical doctors as being unempirical or non-verifiable. So you now have a slippery system where the diagnostic and statistic manual becomes this in this encyclopedia, a litmus test of what you have. And then how do we know that you meet those symptoms? Well, it's simply based off of your description of whether you meet those symptoms or not. So wait, what if I don't get it right? Or what if I'm misperceiving things? Or what if I've wrongly interpreted something? Who is there to fact check what I'm saying? Well, the short answer is going to be no one. So what happens now is this is leading to what's called diagnostic inflation. All right. We are at the point where we need to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about diagnostic inflation and some of the criticism that mental illness and disorders have taken for a lack of verifiability. We'll be right back. And as we take this break, as Dr. Gifford said, I I want to take a moment to highlight a resource that I think ties into Dr. Gifford's discussion today beautifully. I hope you're finding this episode of The Mind and the Brain as insightful as I am. But I want to highlight today Dr. Lou Priolo's Pleasing People. One of the things that Dr. Priolo says in the book is he says, our fear of man reveals itself in our reluctance to take bold stands for Christ, even as Christians. And sometimes we find ourselves falling into this space where we care more about our reputations with people than we do about God, and we end up compromising our values. This book is something that I think anyone looking to understand and overcome this people-pleasing mindset, it's something that you should have on your shelf. You can find it right now on our website at transformed.org. And while you're there, I do want to ask you if you can find the ability in your life to become an ongoing monthly gospel partner, we would certainly appreciate and welcome your partnership and your help because this ministry, we are reaching thousands and thousands and thousands of people, helping them to navigate the challenges that they face in life with biblical wisdom. And it is growing and growing and growing weekly. And we need your help as a gospel partner because look, you're not just supporting us financially. You're actually becoming part of a community that's dedicated to spreading hope and spreading healing. And so every donation helps us to continue producing resources like Transformed and our many other resources that we produce, like Wretched Radio and TV, Road Trip to Truth, and others. So if you have the ability, we would love for you to prayerfully consider joining us on this mission. You can get all of the details right now at transformed.org. And on the topic of helping people navigate through life's challenges, if you yourself have ever felt the call to guide others and you've thought about becoming a biblical counselor, well, we want to encourage you to do that because our churches are in dire need of biblical counselors. And The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy is the book that every single Christian should read, not just biblical counselors, but especially biblical counselors. But every Christian should actually have it on their bookshelf. Pick it up right now at transform.org. It's The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. 
And now we return to the man you're actually all here to listen to. That's Dr. Greg Gifford as he continues to dive deeper into the mind and the brain. This is Transform. Welcome back to Transform. The world's definition of beauty is simply not found in the Bible. Instead, the Bible informs us that true beauty is defined not by this world, but by God Himself. And now your host, Dr. Greg Gifford. Okay, thank you, Jimmy. If you've been listening for some time, Jimmy is usually the one to help us out on our breaks, and so we're thankful for your help, sir. I do continue to commend to you transform.org and the store that's there. It is just a safe place to go for resources that are trusted. So consider that if you're looking for resources on varying topics. But back to the topic at hand, mental illness diagnostic method. The DSM is the encyclopedia. And based off of that authoritative guide, we are now going to have different symptoms that we personally identify and then Based off of our self-identification of those symptoms, we are diagnosed and then treated according to that diagnosis. One of the things that I've mentioned along the way is that I'm finishing up a book entitled Mind Versus Brain, and it's on this exact topic. So what I did is I thought it would be appropriate to go to a psychiatrist and to just learn a little bit about this diagnostic method. So I went just personally and went to see how they would treat me based off of what I described about my life. So I wanted to be very fair and I did not want them to be set up for failure. You know, I joke about this, but I didn't, I didn't want to meet with them and say, I see dead people. What are you going to do? You know, it's like, ah, go to the hospital, man. Uh, That's not fair. The thought was, if I were to see the psychiatrist at church on Sunday, would I feel comfortable going up to them or would it feel a bit weird? You know, like I, I was trying to dupe them and catch them into something. So uh, this past year, I actually was able to get an appointment through my medical care in in Southern California with Kaiser Permanente, and I had to meet with a cognitive behavioral therapist first to screen me, and then I could go on and meet with the psychiatrist. But you can read the full transcript in my forthcoming book, but I want to give you just a synopsis of what happened. So my appointment lasted for 27 minutes via an online meta health platform by Kaiser Permanente. Didn't even meet in person. I attempted to schedule an in-person meeting and she changed it at the very last minute. She asked me just questions about life and worldview. How much do I sleep? How sad do I get? Do I think about hurting people? Do I struggle with motivation? Am I being consistent in my work? Things like that. And at the end of 27 minutes, she offered to me what seemed to be general depression and said I would be willing to prescribe medication if you would like medication or therapy. Just to clarify a couple of things, she did not draw any of my blood. She never weighed me. She doesn't know any of my lab work. We didn't do any labs together. In fact, we were never even in the same physical room. And at the end of a 27-minute conversation, this very gracious psychiatrist, who is very gracious the whole time, this is nothing to, to her demise or detriment, she offers me medication for depression. Now, I wonder if I were not a biblical counselor. I were not committed to a clarity on the mind versus the brain. I wonder if I were a person who was actually struggling with depression, what I would have said in that moment. And most likely I would have said, yeah, bring the medication on because I want some relief from this. But I thought, if this is really a medical issue, wouldn't you want to do an x-ray? 
I mean, wouldn't you want to take my vitals? What if I am morbidly obese? What if I haven't slept in four days? Like, what if I have some massive vitamin deficiency? Don't you want to know about that stuff? But the short answer was the psychiatrist didn't do any of the quote unquote medical work. She simply offered a diagnosis and a treatment based off of what I described to her via this online platform. Listeners, you have to be very discerning about this. If that is the case, then the criticisms that come for psychiatry and psychology, are, they seem warranted. Dr. Thomas Enzel, he was the director of the National Institute of Mental Health in 2013 when the DSM-5 was released. And one of the things he said is that the concern he had for the DSM was that it lacked verifiability. Do you hear me on that? This is not a friend of biblical counseling. He's not trying to argue for a biblical worldview. He's saying that there is a lack of verifiability. And then what would happen if you're not careful is diagnostic inflation. That's exactly what it sounds like. Diagnostic inflation is where now more and more people are being diagnosed because there's a lack of verifiability or empirical proof that you, in fact, do have that illness. So a very outspoken psychiatrist who is an an emeritus professor at Duke University, his name is Alan Francis. He was on the prior DSM committees up to DSM-5. And when DSM-5 was published, he became very vocal about what was taking place. Dr. Francis's concern was that before long, everybody is going to be sick. You can Google this. He wrote a book called Saving Normal. You can watch some of his lectures online. I would encourage you to like fact check me on this. I'm very open to your critique. Dr. Francis is not arguing for a biblical worldview. He's a psychiatrist. He has a vested interest in this. But his concern was that when the DSM-5 was going to be published, there are some really odd inclusions that you're stigmatizing normal behavior. And again, like Dr. Inzel said, there's a lack of verifiability. There's a lack of proof. So what's going to happen is you're going to make up, and I am using that term intentionally, you're going to create a quote unquote mental illness that you cannot prove a person has or does not have. So what is the net result? Everybody's getting sicker. Everybody's getting sicker. I mean, even experientially, listener, as you're hearing this, is mental illness going away? Are mental illnesses decreasing when you think about it? I said one in five according to modern research, but is that number lessening or is it growing? So what Dr. Francis was showing is that if you loosen how you diagnose and perhaps are creating diagnoses that are just ridiculous, then before long, everybody is going to be sick. So one of the things that I would encourage you to think through as you're considering this topic, uh, some of you have been diagnosed with mental illnesses. Harken back. You guys like that term? It always feels biblical, but I just think it's an old term. Hearken with me back to the time when you were diagnosed. How did that happen? Did they do an x-ray? Was there a CT scan, an MRI? Was there lab work or blood work? Were any of your vital signs taken? Or was it simply based off of what you verbally described? Almost all of you, it's going to be based off of what you verbally described. Now think of our children for a second. And some of us have children. And when I say children, I am thinking of like you're 16 and under type of crew, the, the crew that's still under your authority. Think of your children. Think of the children that have been diagnosed with a mental illness or a mental disorder. How were they diagnosed? No vitals, no x-rays, no, to use Dr. Enzel's term, no verifiability. 
Rather, it was based off of what your children said and the ways that they answered question on a survey. So just to be clear, if there are no empirical ways of diagnosing mental illness, how should that change the way that we think about mental illnesses? I really want to I want to prompt you with that question. Now it's hard to do that in a 22-minute podcast, but think about this, listener. If there is no empirical proof, no physiological proof that the mental illness that you've been diagnosed with actually exists and that you actually have it, how should you think about it? Now what I'm not saying is that you should say, well, this is a sham. My whole life is a sham. There's no truth to the symptoms I'm experiencing. I'm not saying that. I'm saying maybe medical terminology is not the best way to describe what you're experiencing. Maybe it's not. In fact, if the mind and the brain are different and there is no proof this is a brain issue, maybe this is a soul issue. Maybe what I've been thinking is a medical mental illness my whole life actually pertains more to my soul. Listeners, I hope you give great thought to that because some of you have been in bondage to a mental illness label most of your adult life. And what I want you to see is the freedom that comes from the truth of God's word. God's word is truth and truth sets you free, John 8. The truth is that there are certain mental illnesses that are not to be seen as biological issues, but really they're more a matter of the soul and the soul's response. I would encourage you to continue to study on your own the verifiability of the mental illness label that you have been given or that your child has been given. And what I'm saying is that if you study the verifiability, you're most likely going to find that it is not verifiable. So if it's not, how should that structure the way you think about it? Now, I, I, I welcome your questions. Please email them in to greg at transformed.org. I welcome your questions on this. When you write in, be succinct and get directly to the question. That helps me understand what you want to hear. But I would love for you to study this on your own. So don't take my word for it is what I'm saying. Go study this and you'll see that the mental health diagnostic method is somewhat subjective. So how should that change the way we think about this? And in light of understanding the mind versus the brain, maybe, just maybe, this is more of a soul issue and not an organic illness, as I've been told my whole life. If that is true, what would the Lord have me to do? What does he say in his word about what I'm experiencing? That's the next step. And I hope you'll find freedom in that. So let me pray for you. And then I look forward to hearing from you via email with questions that you have pertaining this topic. Let's pray. Lord, some who are listening to this actually see themselves as their label first. They've been told they can't do things because they have a mental illness. They've been told they are things because they have a mental illness. And I pray that you would use this episode to break up the ground just a little bit so that your word could penetrate with clarity. Lord, our goal is not to dismantle mental illnesses, but to bring biblical clarity for who we are as people. I pray the listener would just be open to what your word has to say and to think carefully about some of these topics, not so that I can be right, not so that even transform can advance, but that you would be glorified and that you would set them free through the truth of your word. Lord, I do pray that. I pray that you would set people free, that you would help them understand themselves and others and their children well because of how clear your word is. Give us grace for this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
This has been Transformed with Dr. Greg Gifford, a production of Gospel Partners Media. Our website, of course, is transformed.org, and it is your central hub for finding in-depth information on all things Transformed. If you've enjoyed Transformed with Dr. Greg Gifford, consider subscribing and sharing with your friends and church family. Also, would you prayerfully consider joining this labor of love by becoming an ongoing monthly Gospel Partner? And until next time, go serve your King. 